Good morning. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Welcome this morning. If you're someone visiting, you're, you're welcome to be here, and uh, we're glad to have you. Um, I'm going to share today out of John's Gospel, chapter 8. And I'll tell you, sometimes for me, I don't know about other people that have to talk, but um, sometimes I read these scriptures like three weeks ahead of time. Do you ever have one of those little, when I was a kid, I always wanted one of these, but we never did get it. It was a, a machine that you could put rocks in. And you could, I don't know if there was a solution or whatever, but you could turn it on and it would roll those rocks around inside of there and then they'd all get real pretty. You know, they looked really pretty in the store, but uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? They, you know, I used to always want one of those because I loved rocks. I was always out. If I wasn't throwing a rock, I was looking for them. And, uh, you know, I got into trouble a lot throwing rocks. I want you to know that. But anyway, sometimes I feel like that's the way it is with the scriptures. You get them in your head, and they're in there tumbling around. And eventually, those things get real pretty, you know. They get to where you kind of feel like you got a handle on them. But I want you to know, I've had these things tumbling around for a long time, and I'm still struggling with a lot of them. Because the, the word at the end of this section of scripture, where it says, many believed on him as a result of this, and I'm thinking... How did they do that? What was the, why did they believe on him as a result of this? I didn't understand it. Well, if you can figure it out, go ahead. But I'm going to go ahead with the first few scriptures. Uh, uh, let me read chapter 8, 21 through 30. He said, therefore, again to them, I go away and you shall seek me and shall die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Therefore, the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are from this world, I am not of this world. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall, not, you shall die in your sins. And so they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak to and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Therefore Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I will do nothing of my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. I pray, God, you're, a, you're the best interpreter of your word. And I just invite you here today through your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to help us to understand all that Jesus is trying to communicate to us, Lord. Help us to know the things which we need to know, Lord. Help us to receive the things that we need to receive. Help us to have open hearts 
for your Holy Spirit and what he wants to share. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I thought I would go back and recap the, the verse right before this, verse 20. Because I've, I talked about this in the last message. And I, as, I, as uh, uh, Chase was sharing about last week, it kind of sparked something in my thoughts. And it, in verse 20, it says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And my Bible says, And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. You see that a lot. His hour had not yet come. Is this the wrong mic? I'm okay? Okay, it just sounds like a lot of feedback. Um, his hour had not come. Now, I went to the some of the other Bibles that, you know, I consult other Bibles and how they put it. Well, where it says in my Bible, and no one seized him, it would, it, a lot of Bibles will say, and yet no one seized him. He was talking in the treasury, you know, spoke these words, he taught in the temple, and yet no one seized him. The reason it would yet would be a better interpretation according to some of the commentaries because they were wanting to get him. They were wanting to get a hold of him. They were wanting to arrest him. They were wanting to find a charge against him so that they could have him killed. And, uh, you know, that was in there. Now, if you, the, these things were, these things were happening all the time wherever Jesus went. In fact, you go over to John chapter 8, 59. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them, and he made his way away. And in John chapter 10, verse 39, another place where Jesus was almost captured and killed. He was, it wasn't that Jesus had a good escape plan for everywhere he was at. There was something going on here. There was an hour... There was an hour in which this protection was going to lift from him. This supernatural, sovereign protection that God put around Jesus was going to lift. You want to know where it was at? Let's go back to Luke. You might want to look at this. Luke 22. I, I think there's a few other places, but I just got Luke 22 in mind. Chapter 22, verse uh, 50, 53, I believe it is. Yeah, this is Jesus when he was in the garden. They came after him. It says, they've come out. He says, you come out against me with swords and clubs as a robber. Verse 53, while I was with you daily in the temple, which is where he was at over there in John 8, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour is yours and the power of darkness. You see what I'm saying here? Finally, the, the protection, the sovereign protection of God lifted and Jesus was now open to experience whatever they willed against him. You say, what, what's this got to do with anything? Well, I think it's got a lot to do with anything. It shows me a lot about my own life. Hello? It shows me a lot about your life. This is so loud. I, I'm, I can't hear, my, I'm hearing myself too much. I don't like to hear myself. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is there is, an out, there is a time and a place, you know, and we don't even know how many times 
We don't even know how many times the sovereignty of God has kept us from something or allowed something in our lives. Are you seeing what I'm saying here today? I think this is something good for us to know. Wouldn't you, would you believe this is something good to know? You say, well, I really like to know. Well, I, Jesus knew. He knew. But it isn't up for us to know when God is sovereignly. And you know, we talk about God's sovereignty. We almost act like it's a static thing. It's just something ooh, that hangs there. I would rather, you know, David called God the living God. I think there's a living sovereignty in God. Can you imagine God having to make decisions for every one of us as we're out here in life, sovereign decisions about his sovereignty, keeping his sovereignty in your life, my life, and everybody's life, keeping his sovereignty going in all of that. Can you imagine that? That's a big God, isn't it? Now, to me, that idea of sovereignty gives me a great big view of God. Not some static thing, something from the past or what, you know. I, I don't know, it just... Okay, you can take this as Jeff's opinion. I, I forgot to put that in. I got that in my notes. It's my opinion. In my opinion, God is constantly watching over us and saying, Rusty, it isn't your hour yet. It's not your hour. And you get, God moves and does things like that. This is your hour. In Mark 14, I like what Jesus said in Mark 14 when they came out to get him in Mark 14. If I can find it here real quick. <laughs> it was a similar thing that was said in Matthew. This is supposed to be Bible study. so In Mark 14 and verse 49, he says, Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. It's kind of like he's saying... Can you just wake up and see what's going on here? I was with you every day in the temple and you didn't seize me. And this is what he says. In, this is what uh, Peter wrote the book of Mark. He had, somebody, he had Mark write it, but Peter, this is Peter's words. It says, <laughs> mine says, but this has happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In the Jewish Bible, it says this, let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus is saying, you came out every day, you didn't seize me. And then he just says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. That's sovereignty there. Sovereignty in action. You know, I, I know I'm kind of edgy, but I, I was thinking about sovereignty in another way, okay? You know, I used to be a little kid, and some of you got little kids, and, you know, I've got a little grandson. They turn him loose. He's like a tornado. I mean, he's into everything. He touches, looks at everything, and, you know, does everything. And his parents are just kind of like oblivious to that, you know. But when we, we had kids, we were on top of them all the time, you know. We was afraid they are going to tear something up and stuff like that. But I, I think it's interesting. Some parents are different. Not, I can't say anything. I mean, they're raising him, not me. So, but I watched them. And he's into this, he's exploring this and this, but all of a sudden, he'll get into something that he's not supposed to get into. And they'll go over there, and they'll pull him away from it, because his hour had not come. 
And I wonder if that isn't a little bit like God's sovereignty in our life. We're, we're doing and going and doing things, you know, but sometimes we get into something and God says, huh, and it, it just won't happen. You just can't get things to come out the way you want it. And that's God's sovereignty. Restraining. He's either restraining us or he's restraining somebody else who won't let us do what we want. I just want you to see that because I think you need to understand God's protection and God's, God's sovereignty working in your life daily, okay? Kind of like us and little kids, or me taking care of little kids. I, well, whatever. Sovereign hand of God was guiding the life of Jesus. It was thwarting the hand of his enemies until his hour came for Jesus' departure. It was the sovereign presence of God in his life 24-7, 365. Now, after I said that, let's get back to John chapter 7, or John chapter 8, and we'll get into verse 21. Jesus told these Jews he was going away. I am going away, and you can't come. You're not going to be able to come. You're going to die in your sins. You'll die in your sins, and where I'm going, you cannot come. In these verses of Scripture from 21 to 28, I think Jesus used the name of God, the, the proper name of God, five times. He used the I am. You know what I'm talking about. It's out of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses came to God and said, who can I say, who, how can I tell people who sent me? And that's where God said the most confusing things for American people to try to understand. I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am sent you. That makes things clear, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> well, he don't even talk the way we talk. Well, I went to my faithful Jewish Bible. Yeah, I go to those Jews to find out what really was happening here. And here's the way the Jews say this ought to be. I am, will be what I am, will be. See, doesn't that make much more sense? <laughs> I am, will be what I am, will be. You know, something I noticed in all these words, and I don't know if the Holy Spirit showed me this or it's just me cranking something out in my own logic, but I am is what? Present tense, right? Present tense. I am. I love that. I, I think one of the Jewish guys in a devotion made this comment. When someone says, what's your name? I am Jeff. We use God's name when we tell people who we are. I am Jeff. Every time you, somebody, you identify yourself, the first name you give is God's name, and then you give your name. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was kind of cute. I don't know what that will get us. You might share that with the folks at Mia Pueblo today, which, Mary Teresa, you did forget Mia Pueblo in all those Thanksgivings. I want you to know that. Anyway. So I got to thinking, I am is present tense. And when God says, I will be, that's future. God never speaks of himself in the past. Let me ask you something. Does the past really exist? Does it? 
I mean, it's happened. We can all think back there. I can think back there. You know, right now I'm having a lot of memories. I had all my last of all my family. My 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 family died, and I think about. I have a lot of memories. I'm cleaning out places, and I'm seeing old things that. I used to see when I was a kid, you know, I remember this one drawer, my dad kept a magnet in there. It was a magnet out of an old Model T, okay? And he always told me about that magnet. He got, his dad drug that out of an old Model T back, way, way, way back there. And he kept that in that drawer, and that thing was still in that drawer. You know, and I pulled it out, and I thought, my goodness, you know, I remember dad, when I was just a little kid, telling me about, you know, it, it's just stuff like that, you know. But we can think about the past. But God doesn't live in the past. There's nobody back there alive. Come on. Come on. I know we're getting theological here. But God's not back there. God's, where is God more active today? In the presence. He's wanting to be the I am in our lives. I am. I am. I am here. I am here. I am right here. I will be with you. That's what Moses needed to hear. I am and I will be with you. Now, the other thing is the future. I am is the present and I will be. Israel needed to know that there would be a God who would be with them in the future. Okay? You remember how this all got started. When Moses talked to God... God said, I have seen their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them. I've seen their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them. Now, I want you to take it back to John 8. Jesus is telling them, I am. Let me read it to you the way it's supposed to be read, because, see, in my English Bible, they added some words in there for our understanding. I kind of wish they wouldn't have done that, so I could understand it the way it was written. Let me read these scriptures without the certain word that they added here, and it says in verse 24, I therefore say to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am... You shall die in your sins. Not I am he. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die. They knew, they, they missed that. They was like, what's he trying to say? Later on, he said to them, I and the Father are one. Later on, he says to them, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew then what he was saying. They tried to kill him. He was making himself out to be God. One with God and the Father. But that's what Jesus was saying there. That he has been added. If you see that in italicies in your Bible, they added that word. I have a study Bible. And I went back to the beginning and read about it. It says if there's something in italicies, it was put in there for our understanding. Well, you know what? It kind of messed up my understanding. I think you should have left it in a way that I would have had to read it and said, why does it say that like that? And if you're a Bible student, you go back to Exodus 3 and find verse 14 and say, oh, he was saying that's who I am. I am. I am the I am. Because you see the reason. And why did Jesus use that word for God, I wonder? You see, think about it. What did God do when he revealed himself as the I am? He was coming down to what? Deliver his people. What was Jesus doing? He was coming down. To deliver his people. A people that didn't even think they needed delivered. 
of people that didn't think they had sin because they were children of Abraham. He was trying to explain to them, I'm just like the original I am. I'm coming down that I can, and you can't go with me because you have sin, and you've, unless you believe that I am, you remain in your sin. That was, uh, God, ha God delivered the children of Israel because that was in his nature to do that. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Verse 27, it says, they did not realize that he was speaking to them about the Father. You see, they, they didn't realize. Now, they didn't realize he was speaking about the Father. That's probably the only reason they didn't try to pick up stones and kill him. But John, who put this in there, if you find that in verse 27, John is telling us he was speaking to them about the Father. So we know that Jesus was intending to say these things. Verse 28, it says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak those things as the Father taught me. Once again, Jesus was giving them the entire understanding that he was the deliverer that was to come. Just like God had revealed himself as the I am in the days of Exodus, that he had come down to deliver them, he was going to set his people free. Jesus was, was alluding to that, that he had come to set people free from sin. That's why he said, you'll stay in your sin. You'll stay in your sin. Jesus wasn't talking about bondage to Rome. Jesus was talking about spiritual bondage. A spiritual bondage and the Jews didn't understand that they all wanted to be delivered from Rome Jesus wanted them to be delivered from self that's what he was talking about that's what he's still talking about today well I've kind of lost myself somewhere you know I don't know why but when I first read these scriptures, I felt a sadness. Okay? I felt a sadness for Jesus. And I don't know why I felt that. I thought, why do I feel sad as I read this? It was like Jesus, and then all of a sudden that scripture came to my mind. <laughs> it was scripture came to my mind, John 1.11, it says, He came to His own. He came to His own. Think about that, those words. He didn't just come to people. He came to his own. Those that were his. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And as I thought about that, you know, when... <laughs> Israel had a hard time even accepting God the first time he came down. You remember that? They didn't, ex they didn't exactly get all excited about it until he got them delivered. And then, but you know, they didn't, and they never really, you know, they took their gods with them from Egypt and used them in the wilderness. You know, they were, they were a stiff-necked people. That's what he called them. I, I don't, I've been praying because I have a stiff neck. Thinking, am I one of those, God? <laughs> 
you know, I think, you know, my neck, if you see me kind of turning all the time, it's because it's stiff. I think, God, did you put that on me because I'm stiff-necked? I mean, I've been stiff-necked. Well, never mind. That has nothing to do with Egypt. But, <laughs> but anyway, God, God said there are stiff-necked people. They were hard people to deal with. Now, I don't know how many of you have been around Jewish people, but I've been around Jewish people in the military. I've been around Jewish people before. They are a tough people to deal with. They have their minds made. They've got their heads made up about doing things, and that can be good in some cases, but in other cases it, it can be difficult. And Jesus came to these, this people group, and they were his own. They were the ones that he had delivered before. They were his, and they didn't receive him. And there's a sadness in that, I think, a very difficult sadness for Jesus, I believe. You know, in Exodus, God redeemed for himself a people. They saw the glory of God. He revealed himself in Egypt. He revealed himself in the wilderness. But as he comes down again as the great I am in Jesus, revealing his glory and power and telling them the truth about sin and its devastation, He's rejected. He's rejected. And I don't know about you, but I just feel a sense of sadness in that. I don't think John wrote it for us to feel sad. But I think there's a pathos in the scriptures. When you get to the death of Jesus, we're going to get to the death of Jesus. You know, these chapters, sometimes they cover a, a week of Jesus' life. But when you get to the death of Jesus, when it starts in on the, where he goes to the garden, it's given us a chapter for every, almost every hour or two hours of Jesus' life. It slows way down because it wants us to experience what Jesus is going through. Not so we can have some sentimental savior in our life, but so that we might know that he was really a man and that he was really sent from God and that he really suffered as a man of God, as a man sent from the heart of God. That's what the Bible says. came forth from the bosom of the Father. Tender-hearted, Never experienced sin. Never experienced separation from God like you and I have. Every one of us experienced separation from God. When we sinned, immediately we move away from, we move away from God. We experience that separation. We experience that loss. Even though we may not know it. We may not know what that feeling We may not know what that sense is in us. But we've sinned. And sin separates us from God. Believe me. And I get down to verse 29. And I think, I don't know why Jesus told them this. He said in verse 29, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. You know, that was Jesus' strength as a man. He was not alone. Everywhere he went, he could sense the presence of his Father with him. 
He could hear what the Father was saying. He could see what the Father was doing. I'm not quoting Shakespeare. I'm just quoting things that come out of the Scriptures about Jesus. He said that. I do what the Father shows me. And I say the things of... He was with the Father all the time. He was with the Father. I am not alone. He tells his disciples in the garden that... He, he says, I'm not alone. When he, before he went to the cross, he told the disciples, I'm not alone. God was with him. As he went through the sufferings of the, the humiliation of being beaten and, and lied about and maligned by the Jewish leaders as he was spat upon and all that and had things pulled out of his face and hit and beat, he wasn't alone. But then I got to realizing. You go to Matthew 27. I know it's not all in John. But Matthew... 27 talks about when Jesus was on the cross. He experienced something there. I know he, some people think he was just quoting scripture, and I, I know he was, but he used the scriptures to tell about what he was experiencing. Matthew 27, in verse 45-46, it says about the sixth hour, Darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. Three hours there was darkness on the land, total darkness. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus felt alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know some people have a reason for that happening, but I, I have a little different reason. I think Jesus felt in himself the first time what a sinner feels away from God. And I believe he had to experience that in order to be the perfect sacrifice he had to identify us with us completely. Now, the Bible says he never sinned, okay, but he became sin for us. I, I know that's a you know, conundrum. We can't figure that out, but I believe it's like this. He experienced everything that a sinner feels even though he never sinned, and that made him the perfect sacrifice. He was alone. He knew what aloneness felt like. He often, he often alluded to the fact that I'm not alone. I'm not alone. But finally here. And Mark, Mark uh, you can go to Mark, um, I can't remember, 15, 34, and it says the same thing. Jesus felt a separation from the Father's presence the first time since all of eternity. And you know, I think it's worthy to point out this stuff because we talk about his great sacrifice and sometimes we talk about the sacrifice of the blood and the, and the, and the pain and the physical suffering, but there was, a, there was a spiritual suffering that Jesus went through and this was part of the spiritual suffering. Remember, Jesus wasn't just dying because of we need our bodies healed. He was dying because we needed our hearts healed. So there was a lot of spiritual suffering that went on in all of this in his heart. 
I think the Catholics have it best. Some of you were, used to be Catholic. Maybe some of you still are. I don't know. But I remember seeing pictures of Jesus when I was a kid. I'd go into the church on Saturday night and, and see church with the boys before we went down to the rustic and did dancing and drinking and stuff. But we'd go in there and... And I remember these pictures. Some of you boys are laughing here because you did the same thing. But I, I remember they had these pictures of Jesus up there. And they, he had his heart exposed and the heart was broken. The heart of Jesus was broken. I'm thinking. And as I read, I'm thinking, you know, do they believe Jesus died of a broken heart? Over the sin of the world? Well, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us he did. But I know he was, when he went into the garden, he said, I'm grieved to the point of death. Pray with me. Grieve. Grief is not fear. Grief is something that you experience because you've experienced great loss that can't be recovered. And I think the eternal God was looking down through the time and looking at all the loss that he had experienced in this special creation of man. He had lost that. And I believe that just almost broke Jesus to the point of dying in the garden. And he was asking people to pray that he could make the cross. The Bible says he was heard because of his piety. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says that he prayed in the day of his sufferings that he, and, and the Bible says he was heard. God's strength, the angels came and strengthened him, the Bible says. So I don't know. The great I am came down to deliver us. And to do that, he was lifted up on a cruel cross to die alone. He identified himself with us and with our sinfulness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. We need that power. We need that grace today. As we, are we having communion today? Okay. As we receive communion today, let us just draw near to God. The Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. May God touch your heart today. May God encourage you today to serve the Savior, to serve the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who was willing to join in this eternal plan, Lord, to come down to be what you needed him to be for our behalf, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your unfailing love, Lord, to us. May we receive you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.